Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to The Less Stressed Life, all about making this your time to feel freaking awesome about your life, health, and happiness. This podcast of The Less Stressed Life is hosted by Krista Bigler. Krista is an integrative registered dietitian nutritionist who specializes in reducing food-related stress, inflammation, and symptoms of food sensitivities. To learn more, visit lessstresslife.com. Okay, so today on The Less Stressed Life, we're changing things up around here a little bit. Uh, Instead of me having someone to interview, I am the interviewee, which is like fun and daunting, right? And so today, why we're doing this is because Jill, the girl behind The Less Stressed Life podcast, she's the one who edits and uploads and gets things out to you guys. She had some questions about uh, food sensitivity, so I'll let her tell you why she wanted us to discuss this topic. So I'm pretty active on line on Instagram and in the health community, and I noticed most recently that there's a lot of misconceptions. People are confused about food sensitivities and elimination diets, and I know there's a lot of concerns and questions, and I think that you are the expert in food sensitivities. I think you are the person to answer these questions. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. <laughs> well, and I think that there is a lot of confusing stuff. And I remember when I first started learning about this, I found it very confusing, even as someone who'd been working in the food space for a long time, you know, because there's a lot of nuances. So I'm excited to to answer your questions and hopefully beyond today. So I think where we should start is with a few definitions. What are, are the differences between food sensitivities, intolerances, and allergies? Right. So most people don't even know that there is a difference in these. They A lot of people be like, oh, well, I'm allergic to that, right? But what do we think about with an allergy, right? We think about kind of an immediate response, like getting hives or your throat closing or, you know, something that's even less, right? Just some swelling that happens. And sometimes there's there's actually other sensitivities that cause similar reactions, but usually it's pretty immediate with a food allergy, right? And we have ways to test food allergies and to get a little bit more technical, 
It's actually called an IgE reaction. We can talk about what that means later. But, you know, there's like a common top eight allergens, right? Um, nuts and fish and um, wheat and soy and all the top eight. So that's food allergies. And there's different ways to test for those, right? But often people just kind of lump it under that umbrella. But there's really huge differences between the other two and what they do. So food intolerance is, for example, like when someone gets loose stool from drinking milk because they have a lactose in tolerance. What does that mean? So that just means that they don't have, they're missing something. So they don't have like that enzyme lactase to break down that sugar that's in milk or yogurt or ice cream, um, which is called lactose. So it's basically a deficiency in something, right? And lastly, there's sensitivities. And this one is the most hotly debated and can be recognized differently by different practitioners. So not everyone agrees about sensitivities. And I get it because there's different ways to look at it. And so if you know that, then it helps you understand why it's so polarizing. So Food sensitivities are more of like a chronic low-grade sign of inflammation. In fact, you can get reactions up to 72 hours after eating something, or it can be pretty immediate. And it can actually be hard to pinpoint, too. So it can be like migraines, bloating, digestive symptoms. But yeah, it's more like long-term and chronic. So knowing that those actual differences between the food intolerance, allergy, and sensitivity, how do you treat them differently? That's a good question. So basically with like an intolerance, there's many thoughts there because, you know, some people also have like a bile problem where maybe they don't, they can't break down fats and things. So you can kind of replace, um, you know, that can be kind of a, that's a funny, intolerance is a kind of a funny term, but basically you try to replace the missing piece if it's a true intolerance, right? So you can give a lactase enzyme. There's other enzymes you can give for different intolerances, really. But um, with allergies, it's often avoidance. Now, where I get a little bit more gray with this is I've seen people in general, when they've improved their immune system status overall, they have a more, they're more able to handle maybe like seasonal allergies and things like that. Um, So mostly that's kind of black and white. We really think avoidance for the most part, but in general, you know, we don't want things to be so anaphylactic. I mean, we see really allergies progress and progress and progress. Um, and what does that tell us is maybe it's just a further degradation of immune system. Now, sensitivities are really related to the immune system as well. Intolerances are almost like more digest. They're almost like how your body's digesting it, whereas these other two are really like inflammation related to the immune system. So with a sensitivity, you have to heal the problem, right? And so that's really where it gets polarized because with allergies, you avoid, you avoid the food. And a lot of times, practitioners even they'll suggest that people treat sensitivities the exact same as allergies. And that's wrong because that doesn't really necessarily fix the problem, right? So we, you, you want to, part of the process is to lay off the sprained ankle. So at least some kind of short-term avoidance, right? But that doesn't mean you're always sensitive to it. Really, what's the root cause of it? And it's usually something with, with your digestive system, with the gut, something going on there. And, and we can talk, I guess, a little bit more science, but I didn't want to get too deep. Um, but basically, yeah. So intolerance, replace the missing piece. Allergy, often avoidance. And with sensitivity, really heal the problem. Don't treat it like an allergy forever. So I'm just curious, what's actually going on in the body when there's a food sensitivity? Yeah, what does go on inside the food sensitivity um, when there's going when there's something going on in there? Well, there's different types of reactions that can happen, right? So there's these different antibodies that are in the immune system. IgE, I have mentioned already, that is the one that we measure and we look at for allergies. But there's other types of antibodies and um, basically mechanisms or mediators and things that can be secreted when you eat a certain food. Um, so I really like analogies. I think that really helps you way more. Um, and I'm probably forgive me if I sound like a broken record, if you've ever heard this me talk about this before. But basically, I like to say that 
your gut should be a bit more like nylons instead of fishnet tights, right? So we're supposed to be able to digest things adequately. We're supposed to use our enzymes, break things down. You're supposed to have, it should be semi-permeable. So nutrients should be able to cross that barrier and go to their different posts throughout the body and go do their work, right? So like vitamin A should go over here and vitamin D should go over here and whatever, right? Um, Vitamin D was a poor example because that has a lot of steps first. But my point is, is that your food breaks down and it goes and does its thing, right? So it should, you should be able to move nutrients. Just like if you would put a bunch of food in nylons, the food wouldn't come across the 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 barrier. It would be like water, right? So that'd be the nutrients. But if you had fishnet tights or some holes in your nylons, then you'd have bigger pieces getting out, right? That's very similar to what happens in your gut. You have these tight gap junctions. They can get pulled apart. And basically what you've got going on is instead of the food getting digested appropriately, it's before it's digested fully, it's like getting across the barrier. So when it gets across the barrier and it lands in places it shouldn't land, your body's like, wait a second, you don't belong in here. Let me do something about that. So you've got, you know, your guards that are standing there and they've got different guns. And I would say that the guns have different labels, right? So one label is IgE, one is IgG, one is IgM. You know, you've got different types of cytokines, right? Interleukin and all these different inflammatory mediators. There's like a hundred different ones, okay? So I hope this starts to, I hope this analogy is helping a little bit, but basically the guard is firing off at what it doesn't think belongs there, okay? So for some reason we've got, what was that? I was just going to say, so we've got the guard shooting off at something. Uh, This is where I kind of summarize everything. Sorry. So the guard is shooting off at things. So we've got a gun labeled IgG. We got one labeled IgM, whatever. We got other ones. So basically, you know, there's different types of food sensitivity tests. Some look at IgG. Some look at like all mediators. And so I prefer to use one that looks at like the extent of bullets that are shot, right? Because I would prefer to know how many bullets were shot at that food. Like what's the extent of the inflammation? If I know like how bad it was versus... You know, what kind of gun is he carrying around, basically? So that's kind of my example. You know, things get out of place. I also use, like, if your door is wide open, right, like, that's an opening in a tight gap junction. Like, if it's shut, you should be able to get, like, air and things underneath, right, just like a semi-permeable membrane in the gut. But if it's wide open, then, like, the neighbor's dog's coming through, and then it starts causing havoc, and then you've got low-grade inflammation. (laughs) So that's what happens. That was a perfect analogy. I don't think I've ever heard you explain it that way, but it's than ever. Oh, well, gosh, it really, honestly, when I was studying immunology, it was, it's hard. I mean, it's challenging to wrap your mind around. It. And I think, I think when people are lost, when things don't make sense, you just shut down. Right. And so, and I prefer, I love analogies so much and it also helps me wrap my brain around it. And so for immunologists and in the room, which maybe there are none, they might cringe a little, um, because I might have not given full justification to each little piece. But honestly, if people can understand it, that's what matters in my opinion, because if you can understand why you should do one thing instead of a different thing, then you're going to get better results, right? Because first our rational adult brain has to like believe that that would make sense. Right. And so you need to understand it. So what are the most common signs and symptoms of a food sensitivity? Like how would somebody know that a food is bothering them? Yeah. So that's an interesting question. Usually, you know, I talk about this all the time. Usually things have to build up and get pretty bad before we realize that they are pretty bad. And a lot of times these symptoms seem to be unrelated to the naked eye, right? So it's like, oh, I'm just getting older. Oh, I I just, you know, ran too harder. Or I just didn't get enough sleep. But really inflammation is the root cause of everything. So early signs of inflammation include like gas and sinus congestion. Um, So I mean, I can... 
I now I know that like I eat something that's wrong. It's like, oh, there's a side of inflammation immediately, right? And the and the goal is not to just keep building that up and thinking that that's normal, but also like unexplained aches and pains, right? Like you didn't fall off of a step, so why do you have these aches and pains and exhaustion for no apparent reason? Like when I'm on my game and I'm doing really well, like I just have insane amounts of energy, right? Because I'm like taking away all that inflammation and everyone responds completely differently because it's not just this sometimes that's wrong with people, right? But anyway, my point is it seems to be unrelated, right? Like headaches or joint pain or muscle pain or digestive symptoms. A lot of people will think food stuff is always digestive symptoms. And so that's why it's fun to work with digestive symptoms, right? Because they resolve a little bit quicker or whatever. And people already agree, but it's a lot of other things too, um, because inflammation is is like a root cause, but it's a lot of things that seem unrelated. Aches, pains, exhaustion, sinuses, gas, but those are some of the most common ones I see. So when somebody finds out that they have a food sensitivity, what what do you find that the most common thing that they do incorrectly, like the next step, they find out they have a food sensitivity, what do most people do wrong? Yeah. So basically to answer that question, it's like, what are you going to do with that information? Right? So like everyone thinks that like a test is going to solve their problem, but what are you going to do with it? Because tests are just tools, right? So it really just boils down to like, how are you going to implement it? Right? And so you know, first, how did you find out? Did you work with someone to find out? Because a lot of times, a lot of people be like, oh, treat it like an allergy, which I have a problem with, because that just leads to like this long term avoidance. It's like this bad circle. And then it, I, I redo this. I unfortunately, I wish I didn't have to say this, but I do help a lot of people that have already done a test in the past and like didn't really get any difference because they didn't really do anything with it, right? Or they just avoided like some things. Well, that makes sense. Um, so implementation really is like the, the key theme here, right? So one, my question is like, was it, what kind of test was it? How did you implement it? Did you just treat it like an allergy? Cause let me just explain something. So there's like 70,000 foods and like food ingredients when you'd walk into a gro- the average grocery store. Okay. So like if you have a test with like a hundred things on it and you're going to avoid like five that are super reactive, it's like, well, maybe that'll help. Like, but what about the other like 65,995, right? Um, so there's a lot of strategy to this, a lot of like looking between the lines. But my point is, if you're not going to implement things, please don't spend the money on a test because it's just a tool. It's interesting. It's so fun to learn about ourselves. But if you don't know what to do with it, um, and no one wants to really hear that, right? Because <laughs> you want to just like, you want an answer to be kind of simple. It's like, sweet, I'm going to take this blood test and I will not have any problems now, <laughs> right? Like, that would be awesome. I would love that for you as well. But there's a lot of nuances to it because it's not. And I think that's why it can be polarizing because allergies, in a way, or black and white to medicine, right? It's like, oh, well, you're allergic to eggs. Do not eat them, right? Whereas this is like, well, maybe this will be a long-term thing, or maybe you can strengthen your immune system, get better, these symptoms will resolve, um, a lot of other things. So I guess there's like, what's the first thing you should do is question your implementation strategy, right? Please don't treat it like an allergy. Please find someone that can help you not treat it like an allergy, right? Um, And know that like, sometimes all your answers aren't really on that one piece of paper either. Sometimes your symptoms indicate you should also be layering it with another approach initially. So long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah, and there's probably a lot of trial and error, too. It's not an instant gratification. Well, it can be. Um, you know, it's actually very normal. I, I get really disgruntled if people aren't 30 to 50% better in two weeks, actually, um, because 
if you kind of make a massive shift, so that's the fun thing. If you like have a proper strategy, then you can kind of make a massive shift in symptoms technically. Um, so I get a little annoyed when it's not that grand. Um, and most of the time it is. Um, so yeah, you actually, there is some trial and error. Um, it's really like, that's the refining step. I don't like when the trial and error happens at the beginning, but guess what? Like there's definitely things, sometimes it's not only food that's the problem. Sometimes it's other things as well. Just FYI. I mean, there's other stressors out there in the environment and other things as well, but yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's well known that like processed foods, refined sugars are inflammatory foods, but why is it that even anti-inflammatory foods like salmon, turmeric, ginger, blueberries can be reactive in someone's body? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful question because that's where we do get a little bit of a magic when testing a little bit. And this totally happens all the time, like healthy foods you react to. And honestly, it can happen for two reasons, I find. One of the first people, first questions I ask when I look at someone's results are, do you hate this food or did you eat this food all the time? The most reactive ones. And I usually get like a split right down the middle. It's a little bit of both. But for example, with my husband, I will just give a, a down home example. You know, when I got his results, I just knew that his were so indicative of a permeability problem. So remember when I was just talking about like when the door's wide open and the dog comes in. So if the dog's in, it's like, I do not like that kind of dog. Like, you know what I mean? The dog that comes in the most, I do not like that dog. So let's say you're eating this anti-inflammatory diet, but you've got a lot of open doors. Okay. You've got a lot of open doors. So you've got this, these few different dogs that keep coming in. Now you do not like those dogs suddenly, right? So you can get, you can develop a food sensitivity from the foods you eat most often based on the extent of permeability that you have. Does that make sense? right? So when I looked at my husband's results, I was like, oh, this is just a permeability one. Like, and you know, so I did a follow-up test to look at how bad it was. Um, cause I use a different stool test to look at other things. Um, and one of the measures, like he had the worst <laughs> marker of it that I'd ever seen. So I'm sure it happened before I met him just so we're clear. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so it's kind of a mix. And my point in telling you this is if someone was eating that all the time, um, and they really are suffering from dysbiosis and permeability, which quite frankly is very, it's a very, 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 you're, you're more likely to be dealing with something like that than not, honestly. Um, then my hope is that you'll, in, you'll resume tolerance later. Like after you work through the steps of healing and moving things strategically and appropriately, like hopefully you'll resume tolerance to that, or at least even if it's not like your best friend, it's not going to knock you out anymore, right? Like I probably eat a lot of things that are my best friend, but they certainly don't knock me out. You know, it's really just body awareness. So let me take a step back. Who should consider getting tested for food sensitivities? Yeah. So a lot of people, they, they, so it's nice if you can have like a shortcut, right? And, but I find specifically, like if I'm going to work with someone, I prefer if they've already tried to do something before and had a little bit of success, but there's still some issues, right? Because some people are going to have a grand success if they do like a generic clean eating approach, like paleo or like a whole 30 or something like that. That's cool. But maybe there's still some issues, right? Like maybe those Hashimoto's antibodies didn't really go down when they did that. Um, why, right? And um, Or anyone that has a diagnosis, because by the time you get a diagnosis, you've had building inflammation for a long time. Like a diagnosis is quite serious, but quite frankly, that probably started 10 years ago, that diagnosis did. Like it, I, I love when people come to me and they're like, oh, well, I had a really stressful master's program and then everything just started going downhill. I love when they like identify this period in their life where they're like, oh, you know, my father or mother died at this time. And, you know, after that, just things weren't the same. It's like, because by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, you maybe have figured this out right now, but stress does impact your health quite a bit, like physiologically. So um, it, in fact, um, it 
it decreases this mucus barrier that's protective. And so it really allows that opening of the door thing to happen a little bit easier, actually. So, you know, I think it's best if you have like, I mean, anyone could do it. But my real thing is, are you willing to do it? Right? Because sometimes getting better is work. And so I find that unfortunately, like me included, we're not really willing to do much work until we've been um, until we've had a significant thing happen. So honestly, like anyone can benefit. um, But it just matters, like, it's not going to matter if you don't implement it, right? So if you're not really if you don't really feel committed, then no, then you shouldn't do it. The only people that should do it feel that are those that feel committed. (laughs) That's the real answer. That's the real answer. But it's nice if you've already tried something, you're like, Oh, that was useful. But there's still something else like that's really great. Right. So you have some experiences to build off of. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's this whole thing is like a journey. It's not like a linear line. It's like, oh, next week, everything is better. It's like, no, we continue to learn things about ourselves. Right. What are the different food sensitivity tests that you can have done? Yeah. So I'm glad we talked about the guards and the guns and all that because it'll lend us to this conversation. So there's a very common, there's most commonly out there like different types of IgG tests. That's very, very common. Um, but there's also endpoint tests. So there might be even more than this that I'm missing, but I would say they usually fall under these couple categories. So there's IgG tests um, and many of them are private labeled as, you know, different companies like this company, this lab company has their IgG test and this company. So for example, if you're scrolling through like Instagram or um, P- uh, Facebook, you probably see a, an ad for this one called Pinner Test. I think that's like a very expensive IgG test. So it's somebody that's private labeled some kind of IgG test, and they probably like have raised the price um, and then they send it off to a lab. I don't really know exactly how it works, but I've I know a little bit about it. I know it's an IgG test. I've heard how much it is, and I think oh, that's an expensive IgG test, quite frankly. Um, so and I be- and um, IgG. There, there shouldn't really be any chemical chemicals that are tested there, I believe. Um, and then there's a couple other ones, um, endpoint tests. So there's like one mediator, right, or one mechanism, sorry. Or there's like endpoint tests that measure all the mediators or all the bullets, right? So the mechanism is the gun, IgG. The mediators are like the bullets, right? So there's endpoint ones. Um, there is one doctor that invented two of them. He first invented Alcat and then left Alcat and then developed MRT, like left the first company. And they both are very much thriving companies. Um, I believe that the MRT is just a little bit more refined. There's a lot of dietitians that do that one. So I use that in my practice along with other tools, right? So I don't find that's like the hard and fast only thing. I love using it though, because it gives fabulous results um, if implemented appropriately, layered crop properly, etc. But basically it's like an endpoint test. So it looks at the bullets shot. I think, don't quote me, I think Alcat doesn't have a very um, gray area on the lower inflammatory side. I want to say it's like either yay or nay, right? It's like black and white, like it's either inflammatory or it's not. Whereas I like when you can read between the lines on tests, because I don't want someone else to tell me if it's yes or no. I want to know if it's even mildly flagging, basically. Exactly. And I find that with a lot of other tests as well, or tests that I think are failures are the ones that don't allow you to read between the lines, because turns out humans can interpret things better than computers sometimes. So it's nice to be able to interpret things. So what makes uh, MRT different, right? Like, what kind of success do you see with your clients when you use that as a tool? Yeah, and I mean, I... Honestly, I've never used IgG. I always started with MRT as compared to like, so I can't compare it to those other food sensitivity tests. I just, you know, I work with people that have already done those sometimes. And then, and those other ones can be useful. They can be. But this one's a little bit more of a comprehensive approach. You know, how is it, I guess, how is it different? I mean, I love starting, I know that I, I know that one of four things is causing my 
clients to have problems, right? So like an environmental thing, an infection, a, um, a food sensitivity situation. So I use it as a primary tool. So it's very common. I think I mentioned this earlier, like I expect at least 50 to 75% improvement. I mean, honestly, I would not be satisfied with 50% improvement at the end of working with someone like that should be pretty initial within that first month. And to get those kind of results, I would like dare you to ask your doctor. I mean, that's so fun, right? It gets really addicting, I guess. And it's so addicting that it's why I don't quit doing it because I could certainly do generic things and we could definitely get improvement sometimes, but I don't know. And now at this point I have like predictability, right? Like I can predict how well, how well someone should do. And if they don't, then we have to work on some of those other pieces. Right. So I don't know if that answers your question. I hope it does. Oh, it definitely does. So, I mean, honestly, you've answered all of my questions pretty well. I work with you and I you have know, a much better understanding of food sensitivities. Answer questions. I didn't even know I had. So yeah. Well, let me give you another pearl if I can. Um, so like with, with the test I use, we look at also some different food chemicals. And so sometimes based on someone's symptoms, you actually need to look beyond those as well, or like layer some different approaches, which I mentioned, but like one, for example, is like tyramine and tyramine is like a food chemical, like a naturally occurring food chemical that builds up when food becomes older age, like it's been in the fridge for a few days. And that's like a common culprit of headaches. Um, and it doesn't present for 72 hours later. So if you didn't know that, do you know how hard it would be to figure that out? Like, it would not be very easy, right? It's like, actually, those are the most frustrating situations. I just like it when everything, all symptoms go down, you know, and that and headaches significantly decrease as well. Uh, but that one's kind of frustrating, right? And so, yeah, like tests are quite valuable if using them appropriately, right? Because you can't really guess that. Um, yeah, and I just kind of want to mention that because I want to say that most other ones don't don't have those those food chemicals. Well, that's yeah, and some people might not even consider that. Right. Yeah. There's right. There's a lot of nuances, right? If you haven't even considered food as a problem, then this is probably not the first place to start. It's probably just experimenting with playing around because if you experiment and you play around with it and you're a little bit better, that means you're going to respond well to food. You know, if you experiment and you've never had a change, you might not respond well to a food intervention. Right, because you you're not aware of of what food is even impacting you if you've never thought about it. Well, that, but also like physiologically, it might not be your problem. I mean, I want to say that food, I'm a little biased. I do think that food can help and improve anything, right? Like we, we were talking beforehand about weird things that happen when people address uh, inflammation and sensitivity. So we're really addressing inflammation, right? Like let's be serious. It's not just sensitivities, it's inflammation. So what are things that happen, right? So like digestive stuff improves. I had someone that had a weird, I used to say, yeah, I don't really want to I want to make sure that you know what the benefits are going to be. So I want to make sure I take someone that's got the classical symptoms I'm looking for. But someone came once and she really wanted to to work through it and she was a good candidate. So we did it. She had this weird like leg twinge thing every night. It was really bothering bothering her, keeping her up at night. Well, and it totally resolved. Like what a weird thing, right? Um, but yeah, there's several other ones too. I was just going to look for them. We'll have to We'll have to maybe add on to the end of this or put them in the show notes or something. Um, yeah, here's one like black pepper um, triggered insomnia in one person. Um, wow. That is flipping weird. Isn't that the weirdest thing ever? Um, someone else was getting they get cranky after eating pork. Like, <laughs> gosh, that is so odd, right? Um, just really random things. I mean, that that's kind of unique, I would say. Yeah, and those experiences make you even a better practitioner. Yeah, I um, I guess my point is, is one of the criticisms of doing this type of testing is that 
you can do it one day and it'll be a little different the next day. That's possible, especially depending on how like much your doors are open. Um, but for the most part, if you're catching most of it and you're using a proper strategy, then it'll be fine. Like you're still going to get great results. Right. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing. Um, and the research is sort of fleeting in general of food sensitivities. And it's because it's kind of hard to pinpoint or put black and white stuff on it. And it really boils down to implementation, how it gets interpreted. You know, it's just like we said, it's not black and white, like, like allergies. I'm glad we got to talk about this because you're right. Um, it really is a, it really is a topic that's misunderstood for sure. So where can people find you and how do you start working with people? Um, well, one, I want to mention that if people do have questions, I would love if they would email them to us. Um, we'll have the email uh, in the show notes. I think it's hello at lessstressedlife.com, I think. Um, so I should probably know that kind of stuff. So I'd love to hear if people <laughs> – we'll make sure we get the right one in. Um, so I'd love to hear if people do have, like, follow-up questions is, and we can do a part two. Or if people are just generally interested in different types of tests that are out there. I, I mean, I've obviously surveyed them all and done some – had a lot of positive and negative experiences with the different tests. I'm happy to talk more about that just so you know. So I'd love to get your feedback. You can leave it in the reviews as well. That would be a great place. Um, but if you want to find out if this is right for you, then the best place to start is you can either go to the podcast website and click over to the home um, and just learn like kind of about the process. And if it feels like a good fit, then everyone always wants to know, will this help me? Well, the only real way to answer that question is to talk about it, right? So I always have people start with a call. So that's really where everyone starts is with a call. So and um, I'm happy to review like people's symptoms and signs and history um, and kind of give them a an idea of whether this would be useful or not. And if it's not, then point them in the right direction of something that would be useful for them. Perfect. Love it. Well, thanks so much for interviewing me, Jill. I um, I hope that it was useful to everyone else that was listening to our conversation as well. And I got to talk about something that I'm a, a little bit passionate about as well. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock.